Hi, my name is JD from When the Lights Go Out. And I'm Sam from Broadway KSMR. <laughs> KSMR. KSMR. Or what do we call it? Chat LGBT. Chat. Yeah, all articles written by Chat LGBT. <laughs> <laughs> Writing's fake. Uh, and this is Absent Friends. And today we're going to be talking about a Gable Stage production of A Doll's House Part 2. Now, I hadn't seen part one, so I was quite sure I'd be lost. <laughs> but you, you kind of saw it, right? You watched on YouTube before we went. I heard the synopsis, and I kind of had the general uh, run of it. But I we had just learned in research for this that there's a movie version starring um, Hanoi Jane herself. Hanoi Jane herself. So I've got to probably brush up on that before. I'm not quite that. I'm a bit versed in 1800s, uh, what do you call it, feminist Swedish. Was he Swedish? Scandinavian. Scandinavian culture. And the I, play came out in Denmark. I had a Denmark. stopover in in Norway this fall. Yeah. I know quite a bit. So <laughs> Everything. I'll, I know all the... I tried to encourage freedom. How Scandinavian of me. That's your cleric. <laughs> yes. So why don't you go through some of the notes I have? Didn't she say I thought I could organize freedom? I organize freedom. Organize, yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. That's, I'm not that's a... the top of the notes, actually. Bjork. Is um, Bjork clear? How Bjork influenced A Doll's House Part 2. So A Doll's House Part 2 is an adaptation of Henrik Ibsen's seminal classic play, A Doll's House. Not A Doll's House Part 1. If there's any confusion, it's because they're really not related. Um, it, Doll's House Part Two was written in what 2017 by Lucas Knath. 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 He's pronounced Knath. Knath. He's authentically Scandinavian sounding, is what he is. Is that Scandinavian? What is that? I I feel like it's pretentious. That's what it is. Yeah. God damn it. Who said you could have two consonants next to each other? Next to each other? Get a life. Grow up. I mean, like, I'm Swiss, right? So my last name has, like, four consonants right next to each other. Your name baffles everyone except for the Europeans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It premiered at the Golden Theater in April 2017 after a tryout in the uh, South Coast Repertory Theater, which I believe is in San Diego. Yes. It was uh-huh. actually written on script. Uh, it was commissioned by the South Coast Rep. Yeah. Uh, Doll's House Part 2 takes place 15 years after. Listen, if you don't know the story of Doll's House. <laughs> maybe spoiler just, alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Let's just, like, synopsis right now. This podcast isn't for you if you don't know the story of Doll's House and you don't want it to be spoiled because it's a sequel, right? Um, but <laughs> it's like a light sequel. It's, it's about a woman in the uh, 19th century leaving her husband at a time where, you know, women had very little rights in society. Um, It talks a lot about how women were unable to get uh, things like bank loans, which uh, the main character of the play, Nora, fraudulently got in the original play. But it's really funny because, you know, in that play, it's not really written to be like an expose of like, women can't do this and that's wrong. It's just kind of like, it is what Society it is. bad. Yeah. Wow. No, but like, Ibsen wasn't trying to say like, that was the fucked up part. Like, Ibsen didn't view this as a feminist play. He viewed it as a humanist play, right? Yeah. So he was just trying to show that 
you know, even a lowly woman like Nora should go out and pursue her own ambitions in the world and become a fulfilled human being, which maybe has some echoes of feminism. It's like but, if it rings with feminist themes, it's not really intended, but it, you can yeah. find it there. That's kind of, I guess, the part, the kind of the good part about theater. Yeah, but there, there's nothing about this play thing like that's like, you know, women should have the same right to banking as men you know <laughs> like yeah he was not he wasn't woke in the 19th century no but but you know something it was pretty much as close to feminism as you could get back then yeah. i mean it was very controversial at i the think time. some of the best pieces of art and literature and like things are just like unintentionally has some like uh what do you call it some like not moralistic what's the word like some social socially good theming of it and i think that's mm-hmm. what makes them kind of timeless classics yeah i mean it really like a great art i think is always the best um historian and i think it really effectively encapsulates what life was like for women in a different way than maybe history textbooks would or at least right? more than like kind of like the girl boss media we have today that's like <laughs> uh what's it like the girl boss beauty and the beast What's the girl boss beauty? Uh, the the twenty the Emma Watson version oh, is like trying to be that. so much girl boss. Like she's actually not Stockholm syndrome. It's like she wasn't Stockholm syndrome in the first movie. Controversial take, I know. She was not Stockholm syndrome. He let her go. She just liked bears. Okay. She just was a furry. Every it has fucking, this whole song about it. Every she bestiality. She was doing drugs, obviously, because she thought the furniture was talking to her. She was a drug addict. Oh my god, we should like uh someone needs to finance me. To produce a, a gritty version of Beauty and the Beast, where it's like very clearly she's on an acid trip somewhere in like the middle of the woods of France, and she stumbles onto a castle, and she's just like tripping, and then the furniture talks to her and sings to her, and then she finds some yeah, like old furry that lives the in real the real version, <laughs> some furry that lives in the castle. Someone give me money to produce that. The I'll... version Walt didn't want you to see. You know something? As half of like a Miami tech bro myself, oh my, I Lord. go to all these events all the time. Where there's all these venture capitalists looking to just give money away to whoever can make a, like a fucking app <laughs> or some stupid. And shit I need them the to finance need. my shit. Where are the venture capitalists funding gay men with ideas for plays? God damn it! I mean, if you look in the playbill for this thing, it's like a lot. Uh, Gable Stage has quite about a good amount of vendors of uh, sponsors. I know, like, it's actually remarkable. I, I don't know how they did that. Um, I think I mean they probably do good fundraising. They probably they put on like they don't need to sell a single ticket. Important work for the community. Like I hate to use that in air quotes, but it's like I think that there's always that perception that like they go around to schools and teach Shakespeare to kids. Like that's, that's true. That's great. You know, and the Knight Foundation usually gives stuff. a lot of money. Yeah, but I mean, shit, they don't need to sell a single ticket. I I don't think. I mean, it is good that they performed an audience. They also do live stream. I think for their shows too. Mm-hmm. Nate. With- Nate recently directed the Tony-winning play Dana H. is about Dana Higginbottom, a non-denominational hospital chaplain, at, and Nate's mother. To tell the story of a what, what? Have you heard of this before? Yeah, so I, I could actually kind of go over it. Yeah, it's like so basically, it's this very strange sto- story. So it was. Performed in repertory this past Broadway season, like before Strange Loop opened at the Lyceum. It was so half. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's like when it's performed in repertory, that means there's two plays during during the week. Mm-hmm. It's like half the week is Dana H. The other half is this show called Is This a Room, 
which is about reality winner. Mm. Um, that girl, I think, who, that like, soldier who was like kind of privy to some uh, like some things about like Russia. Okay, so is this a room which performed in repertory with Dana H? Is about an Air Force linguist who is interrogated by the FBI, which is I think still actually an ongoing case. Like she's still under house arrest. And she was charged with leaking evidence of Russian interference during the U- the twenty sixteen election. Was she a WikiLeaks? I think What's so. Her I th- name? Reality winner. Her name is literally Reality Winner. Reality Winner. Yes. We live in a simulation. And she's going to be. There's a movie version. That, I think like going to Chat come out LGBT soon. came up with that name. <laughs> reality Winner. Reality Winner. Oh no! It's like no. You know what came up with that name? The fucking childish Gambino name generator. That's like a, a Wu Tang Clan <laughs> rap name. Funny. It's like, and so that one was performed in repertory along with Dana H, uh, which is about uh, Lucas Snaith's mother, who is like a non-denominational hospital chaplain, and she got kidnapped by a mentally ill ex-convict that she was trying to help, and then basically she it was interviewed and by. Steve Cosson. She's del- she's interviewed by Steve Cosson, and Nath basically made her recordings into a theatrical show. Yeah, he was like, you know what? This should be a play. It's like not a- sometimes you gotta let those invasive thoughts just like say. I mean, it won it, it won a Tony. You know what? This is what I love about theater, though. I mean, like theater will do this unconventional shit that like TV is even too scared to try and do nowadays. Oh yeah, because like it, we just want Marvel movies. If it's not like a proven formula. TV, Netflix, movies, they're not going to make shit. Even though this show, I think, honestly, probably had no production value, and the Lyceum is sadly a very big theater, it's like, it didn't run super long. I, plays after the pandemic have kind of been, like, struggling. And yeah. so, Dana, but Dana, uh, Dana H is very interesting because it was performed by this actress, Deidre O'Connell, lip-syncing all of the line of those audio recordings. So she was that wasn't her actual voice. It's, like, literally... Her just lip syncing to Lucas Snaith's mother's voice the entire show. Really? It's and she won the Tony for that. That's what won. I believe that's won the Tony. Interesting. Very interesting. It's one of the most inter- more interesting pieces of theater that have come out. Google think, Lucas Snaith's net worth. <laughs> Lucas Snaith's net worth. He's a playwright. He's probably broke. Cuties. <laughs> Oh my lord! Two ladies and a drink ticket that I see in theater. Lucas Nate net worth. What am I gonna find? It's like nothing. Lucas Nate wiki bio height Instagram mother interview. Oh my lord! What? Oh yeah, he wrote Red Speedo. That's right. He's a professor at NYU. Ugh, Tisch School. Oh my god. Uh, we have the we at absent friends do not endorse the Tisch School of Arts. Why can't except for Strange Loop. Why can't theater exist outside of New York City anymore? I mean, it well, we're, we're seeing a theater outside of New York City. Right, but like original theater, you know, like people coming up with new ideas. There are so many other cultural hubs in the world besides New York and London. Okay, according to this, he's worth between $1 million to $5 million. Period. Are you a top get... or a bottom, Lucas Nath? <laughs> He wrote Red Speedo. He might be a... Uh, actually, wait. Let what me check. He, look like? he looks like he was a barista. Do you want to come on the pod? He looks like a barista at Panther Coffee. <laughs> Ew. Not Panther Coffee. Panther Coffee is the most, like, wannabe third wave coffee shop I've ever seen in my life. We hit the Absent Friends. about all of, like, the, like... Gentrification, Winwood pod. Unquote, gentrification in Miami. Because Miami doesn't have real gentrification. We have artificial gentrification. 
Everything in Miami is fake. Oh, who does he look like? He looks like a young Alan Rickman. I'd say he looks like Diet Hozier. Almost like Russell Brand. American Russell Brand. (laughs) We're going to roast this guy the whole fucking podcast. Yo, this man looks like... Genius! He said, Ibsen, I have something to say. (laughs) Yo, Ibsen, I'm going to let you finish, but (laughs) I have a better ending. Which is like so... I think all the shows, they do a uh, talk back with a director, like a pre-show with a director. Yeah. And like she was, Barry Newport, the director, was talking about how basically the actual real life Nora this was based on was like a lady who had sent Ibsen like scripts and like was trying to get money for mm-hmm. like uh, from her script writing. And was because she did the same thing Nora did. She took yeah. out fraudulent loans from her husband. Uh, or on no, her to husband. save her husband's life. Oh, yeah, that's right. And she couldn't repay them. So she was trying to get books published to repay the loans. And Ibsen was like, yeah, I can't help you with that. But you know what? I'm going to write my most famous play. Hey, Chief. <laughs> it's like getting fan mail. It's like, hey, Chief, thanks for reading. I'm not helping you. It is, I mean, not to be diva, but I isn't. It, I feel like I've seen people do that. I've seen people do that in real life. Like I was at the Lucy Dacus show, and this guy came up to Lucy Dacus, and he's like, I'm a producer. I do music, too. You ever want a collab? It's like, bro, this is Lucy fucking Dacus. I mean, she's very cool. She's very chill about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, bro, you're not trying to like, what do you call it? Um, network at Lu- the Lucy Dacus show right now. But they also, she wasn't just a fan. She was like a friend of his family. Oh, he, so she, she was? She was like a friend of his wife's. Like, like exactly like in the play. Oh, shit. Like, the, the, in the play, Ibsen would be... Um, I've never seen Dallas House Part it's 1. A, it's a little different. It's a little different. You can't really like... There's no direct yeah. one-to-one because obviously he's not going to write a self-insert character. Yeah. But, I mean, like, there is a portion in the play where um, there's a widower who comes to Nora and she's like, oh, do you think uh, Toravald could help me get a job at the bank? And he does that. You know? Uh, he does what Ibsen was unwilling to do. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, but also he's a writer. Come on, he can barely help himself. Is that? It's funny too because it's like you know, um, Barry Newport did say that. And it's not that I don't trust Barry Newport, but I do. Wonder. I trust her with. She has like <laughs> you know an encyclopedic Fuck knowledge. That. I trust Barry Newport. Barry Newport is the realest motherfucker out here. Can we have her on the pod? We fucking should, honestly. We need to. She's the realest playwright and like all not playwright director. In, like, all of South Florida. She really fucking is. I mean, so it's, like, the real story of her is, like, she kind of, like, just, she leaves, but then she kind of ends up coming back after spending some time in an institution. She didn't go to an institution. In real life. Oh, oh. The real real life life, Nora. Yeah, Yeah. the real life Nora was, like, actually, she ended up institutionalized. She ended up, like, homeless, and then, like, she just ended up going back. Yeah. Because she couldn't, like, actually make it, which is, like... You know, I think that's why the Doll's House Part 2 is, like, not exactly a one-to-one what happened. At all. Because it's, like, I'm pretty sure Lucas Nath was born, I mean, he was born well after she probably died, but I don't think he would want, that's not a, that's kind of a really fat, sad fucking version of the story to tell. Although I do have to say, like, I I enjoyed Doll's House Part 2. Um, it was fun. I love the source material, right? But I do kind of wonder a little bit, like, what was the point? 
I think I feel like it didn't add all that much to the conversation, to be honest with you. Well, I think in the context of when this was written, like 2017, like I think in 2017, a lot of like feminist kind of pieces were made, especially on Broadway. I mean, this is also the director, Lucas Nath also directed Hillary and Clinton. Yeah, so it was like what, like a neoliberal cash grab? Is that what we're going for? Well, so that kind of brings me to a production note I have here, um, because so the original production was directed by Sam Gold, who did Fun Home, which is the Alison Bechdel musical, and he did a lot of star-led revivals of plays, like he did Glass Menagerie, starring Sally Field and Joe Mantello, the director of Wicked, mm-hmm. um, and the most recent Broadway show he did was the Macbeth revival starring Daniel Craig. Oh, it's like, that would have been, I have to wonder what I'm, that show was like. I'm kind of mad I didn't go. People were very divided on that production because it was minimalist and like minimalist Shakespeare on Broadway. I wonder if he took his shirt off. Oh my God. Oh, I wonder. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I'll never know. Tomorrow never dies. No. Oh my God. But so, one of the things that the thing is also this is directed by Sam Gold and it was produced by Scott Rudin. I want a version of a Doll's House starring Wendy Williams as Nora. Oh my god, stop that. No, because you know, honestly, like you know Wendy had to separate from her toxic husband that was abusing her right before she disappeared. Do you think Wendy Williams can memorize that entire script? She could do it just like extemporaneously like off the she'd be instead of Toraval, it's kevin how you doing Kevin? how you doing kevin oh she opens the door how you doing i'm buying a penthouse in tribeca death to all of them death (laughs) the kid's going to university in miami oh my lord and yeah he's out here i will say you know what something with the the direction of it the the product the staging of it the blocking did feel a little daytime TV when the actors move through the, I hate to say this, when they were like telegraphing the point of the show. Can, yeah. Can we, we need to address this. I mean, that's honestly what we should have started with. It's like, like the elephant in the room. Okay. Well, let's go through like the basics of the show. So okay. it's set in the Gable Stage Theater, which is at the Biltmore. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it's a very small house, very intimate mm-hmm. theater. And... What you see when you walk in, you see four panels, like roof, sides, and floor, and then like the door, the giant door mm-hmm. with two knobs on it because you know that's going to be the plot point of it. Um, but also, the house is like staged very minimally. Like they refer to a couch, and it's like uh, a white square. It's kind of like Falsettos, the recent version of Falsettos. I would say it's kind of more similar to the recent production of Doll's House that's on Broadway starring Jessica Chastain. Mm. Because that's one that one has critics that one has audiences a bit divided because it's like the doll a doll's house, but like minimally staged, there's no period costuming. It's Jessica Chastain, five actors on a revolve. There's no props. The period costuming is not really there. And so it kind of has audiences divided, but I think people who know the source material like it's an interesting version of the source material. And then when this show starts, it is those white walls become, (laughs) they become. We walk in and it's all like bright pink with a doll's house part two. Neon Pepto-Bismol pink. Screaming at us. 
which is cool. You know, I like pink walls. I have a cool pink statement wall at my apartment. Oh, Lord. well, it's like um, it feels very. Oh my god! It, but it was it was so convincing too. Like I thought the walls were just painted like that. I don't know if this is an adjective. It felt very a twenty four to me. Like an A24 (laughs) movie. Or it's like Spring Breakers almost, where there's like the title cards and there's like bright yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but so they they are white, but then when the lights go down and once the music starts... Oh, yeah, there's music in this show. There is music in this show. Music. I mean, it it starts like... uh, uh, What's the word for the the seizure lights? Strobe. Strobe. Seizure lights. They start strobing. The walls start strobing. And just like really like high BPM like, oh, and the text just says, in 1879, Henrik Ibsen wrote his most famous play, which which ends with a door slamming. Which I think we can attribute all of this to the dramaturgist. Oh, Miss Katrina, 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 the dramaturgist, Katrina. I mean, that's not hyperbolic. There are Vogue beats in this show. That is no, and they're voguing. They're, Everyone, the all four members of the cast are voguing. I will accept. Okay, even the de- Torvald, the, f- the actor playing Torvald, he he macarenaed, and I think I I, ga- <laughs> I gasped the biggest gasp when he was voguing, and it was just the macarena. I was like, this was this is. He kind of looked like Jordan Peterson. Oh, my God. Nora, what are you doing here? (laughs) This is why women shouldn't have bank accounts. Nora, you knew this why I couldn't finalize our divorce. (laughs) The bloody thing would be too embarrassing. Was he British? That's the thing. The accents. He I says kind of bloody. Threw. Like no, Jordan Peterson says bloody. All oh, time. he does. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, thought, I thought the Torvald actor said bloody. He might have. I mean, it was actually just Jordan Peterson. <laughs> this is just Jordan Peterson. He, he's, he's like on um on some. He's in hot water with the psychiatrist in Canada. Oh, like, what? they're kind of like bored. They're they're going over him. Oh, yeah. I was talking about, so the original production was produced by Scott Rudin. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much you know about who Scott Rudin is. Nothing. So during Broadway's big reckoning in 2020, when, like, the theaters were still kind of shut down, um, a lot of people who worked on Scott Rudin, and well, you might know the movie Scott Rudin's produced. He's produced Clueless. Oh. He's produced, uh, I have it open on my thing right here. Oh. He's produced Adam's Family Values, which I screamed the first time I realized. Wow. Royal Tenenbaum, Zoolander. Wow, so he's got bread. Is he one of the Moonrise girls? Kingdom. Oh, well. Is he one of the girls? Um, He is gay. Ooh. But he's also an asshole. Ooh. You know problematic gays are my specialty. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> we know. Oh, we know. Our listeners. Oh, God. I don't know, Scott Rudin. I don't think I could do it, girl. I don't want you to. I mean, I want you to you so you can finance my like play. Dad. Oh, well, then that's your, what's it called? Your, your, uh. Not really, though. He that's your. <laughs> that's your problem. <laughs> no, that's your, uh, Freudian slip right there. I guess so. 
an Oedipus complex. 60, he's older than my dad, as a matter of fact. Yeah, but he, your dad's also, uh, I don't know about much about your dad, but I don't know if your dad's ever like been subject to Weinstein-level environments. Definitely not. Like, Definitely he's made not. just such a toxic environment. Oh, he made that terrible Steve Jobs movie. Yeah, and his most recent Broadway production is To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, actually, sure. so last season he did the To Kill a Mockingbird we're going to be reviewing soon. So that that one's on tour. Yes, because Scott wow. Rudin during one po- during last year uh, during twenty twenty one. Wow, that's not last year. During twenty twenty one, you know when like shows were kind of like taking a pause for a bit because like after COVID, people kind of like the outbreak kind of happened again. Um, basically, Scott Rudin they were going to reopen the show. They were going to pause the show and then reopen in like 2022, right? Scott Rudin said, no, this is closed. Like he closed that show. Mm-hmm. No notice to any of the actors, uh, the rest of the creative team or anyone. And so that show just closed. It's on tour. Thankfully, so some actors are hopefully employed. But Scott Rudin is, should not be producing. I think actor, Actors Equity either put out something about him like to not work with him. Um, and unfortunately, he's very connected because he's worked with. Holy shit! Though I'm looking at his IMDb, he's made everything. Yes, he's produced this everything. In, how do you get into this business? Like, Angela's Ashes. It's complicated. Uncut Gems. Adam's Family Values. That's the thing. Failure to launch. Freedom Land. Mid '90s. Goldman versus Silverman. Uh, regarding Harry, The Social Network, Steve Jobs, Fantastic Mr. Fox. It just goes, the like, it goes on and on. The Stepford Wives, Captain Phillips. It, like, this, it doesn't end. Nope, and he's still do. I mean, his most recent pr- credit was in 2021. Okay. But you have to figure he's still getting residuals off of a lot of Network. these Broadway shows. Um, he produced the Music Man revival starring. I'm not even looking at his uh, Broadway stuff. These are just movies. $250 million. By the way, the internet says Jane Fonda's net worth is $200 million, So his net worth is more than... And he does even less than Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda's never abused anyone, I'm sure. Except, you know, maybe um, some tanks in Vietnam. Oh my lord, some American... T- Hanoi Jane. <laughs> it's like, well, A24, so after Uncut Gems, they do not... They, they like, cut their ties with uh, Rudin. Um, he, the thing is... He, uh, because of the movies, the the movie industry, I think, won't work with him. Broadway continues to, and which is the very mm. concerning thing, because he should not have been producing To what, Kill Mockingbird. What were the accusations against him? Um, there are a lot of, uh, it's like his temper, just like being an awful, awful, ball, uh, smashing someone's hands through a fucking keyboard. And, and Scott Rudin somehow... Doll's House Part 2 got on his radar? Well, that's the thing. So it's Doll's House Part 2 was an was another celebrity kind of uh, led uh, play because it starred Laurie Metcalf as Nora. Yeah. I mean, how much... I mean, granted, I'm not the most familiar person in the world with how uh, a lot of, like, venture capitalists work and stuff, right? Or but how shows get it's, produced. It's kind of funny how, you know, I was saying, you know, like, why aren't there any, like, you know, venture capitalists looking to... You know, invest in gay men making plays, right? But um, I feel like there is almost like maybe a parallel just from like what I'm gathering right now, looking at a guy like uh, uh, Scott, Scott Rudin. Rudin. 
Um, where venture capitalists, a lot of times the idea is, you know, don't put all your money into one project, just kind of spread it out, spread that seed money all around. And then if, you know, one thing becomes the next Uber, or the next Google, it's going to pay exponential amounts of dividends. So it'll cover the rest of what you're spending everywhere else. So is that how someone like Scott Rudin thinks producing a play like Doll's House Part 2? Because like for me, if I'm if I can only invest in one play, <laughs> right, and I'm looking around, I have to tell you, Doll's House Part 2 isn't it. Because oh, I mean, yeah. as cool as I think it is, uh, being someone who's a, a fan of the original Doll's House and Ibsen, um, it, I, I don't see it becoming the next Avengers. <laughs> no, so the original run of it, like it was only scheduled for like 16 weeks only, right? Mm-hmm. And then it w- extended up, up until January, but then it ended up closing still in September when it, when it was uh, scheduled to close. So it is kind of like shady dealings like that. Where it's like, I mean, also this is the thing too about Broadway. I feel like, and I hate to say this, I think these star-led short runs are probably more profitable than trying to have like long-running things. Like, uh, for instance, uh, so Rudin produced The Music Man, starring uh, Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster. Sutton oh, Foster yeah, said she great. refused to work on the show on the show when it came back to Broadway, if he if he was still attached to it. But then Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman is a fucking Scott Rudin apologist. Oh really? What? Are, what? Are, but what are the accusations against Scott Rudin? I want to know. Um, it's a lot. I think you'd have to like look at. I, it's nothing that I really can divulge Susanna? to her. You'd have to. I mean, there's the one thing about smashing an uh, an assistant's hands through a fucking monitor. Let's just see what his Wikipedia says. It's not even. It's actually not that much on his Wikipedia. Oh no. It's like very rough. Uh, I, I'll say this, West Side Story. So in 2020, there was a West Side Story revival that Rudin produced. And it's directed by Ivo Van Hoove. It's a very different production of West Side Story. And I say different in the everybody's so creative kind of way. Because it did have interesting things to the production. But he let back... There in... is a lot on his Wikipedia. <laughs> There's a lot. It... <laughs> I can't even. Okay, that's why it's like it's a lot to just read right Controversial now. Controversial. I mean, honestly though, as far as like Me Too stuff, it doesn't look like there's a lot of like Me Too stuff. It's not like it's, sexual stuff, but it's, it's just more like like impropriety's business is what it looks like. Well, it's just like being a meat. It's like and it's like working for a shit heel of a boss. And it's I hate to say this. Yeah. I always hate this idea that in the creative industry, that in these industries we have to kind of be subject to people who like are awful and awful working conditions because they make great work like Leah Michelle. Does she? It's like I can find a chorus girl does that sounds she? like Does she? I can find a fucking chorus girl in a regional theater that sounds and does exact the same Barbara Streisand impersonation that Leah Michelle does. And by the way, so that show what is going has to she close. Been in besides Glee and now Funny Girl. Uh she was in the rag she started in the ragtime uh first what? company. What? I think she was in Les Mis or something at one point. Um, yeah, she was, wasn't she? Uh, uh, Scream Queens. Scream Queens. Oh, she was in, I mean, that's just Where she was the villain and Ryan Murphy was trying to warn us. It's like, the thing is, like, with these kind of short-run star-led revivals, like, that show gets to close September 3rd. She came into that company, I want to say, last year because um, she took over for Beanie Feldstein. And it's like, I think a lot of these shows are, like, 
it's probably a, a very smart financial decision for them because they've been making, they've been selling out, they've been doing well. I hate, I hate to say this, but Harvey Firestein, who I saw at the Miami Book Fair last December, he was, I asked him about the Funny Girl revival, right? And he's like, well, it's not a very good show. Well, the, it's like when we wrote it, it's not a very good show. That's right. It's like the book was the book. The book of Funny Girl is terrible. Have you ever seen the movie? Of course. Oh, it's terrible. But the Barbara Streisand moments. It's like and he literally says, "Don't tell me." And to live just set in Pana. He literally says, "Well, the show was written as a vehicle for Barbara Streisand." That's the only version I've ever seen. I've never seen Funny Girl live. No, but, and there's a reason why it has never been revived until recently. Because it is a star vehicle. It is literally meant for one big talent to do the Fanny Bryce role, sing those songs, and then call it a day. Because it is not a good sh- Fundamentally, it's a terrible book. It's a terrible uh, conceit of a show. Yeah. And if you bi- put a big enough star in it, it's fine. Uh, I'm still going through Scott Ru- My God, Scott Rudin's produced a lot of these Sam Gold shows. Like He produced the Hillary and Clinton this is a sequel to Titus Andronicus called Gary. Wait, so are Sam Gold and Lucas Nates working very closely together then? I think their most recent, uh, his most recent thing must have been uh, Hillary and Clinton. That was post. That was from 2018. 2019. It closed. Uh, opened 2019. Um, was Gary directed by Lucas Nath? Um, It was like. That was the most recent thing, the Hillary and Clinton, uh, kind of part of their uh, relationship. But it's the thing; it's like that's why a lot of these shows that Rudin has produced have been star-led vehicles because he has the way into the movie industry. Okay, so apparently, I think Actors Equity put him on the Do Not Work list. Okay, so people have pushed for him to be on the Do Not Work list, but I don't know if he is. He. He literally was like, I'm going to step away from being a Broadway producer. And then it's like, but he still got to, he still got to, he made the decision to close the Music Man. He made the decision to say, even though Music Man was doing quite well, I think, uh, what's his name? Wolverine's contract was up. And Sutton Foster, which is miscast. I I hate to say it, she's miscast in this role. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's the thing that's like, and it's a similar thing. I think I'm pretty sure Leah Michelle's contract is up for Funny Girl. I'm pretty sure a lot of these star-led shows, their contracts are just up, so they want to just they're saying instead of recasting them, let's just close it and call it a day. And honestly, I'm kind of okay with that. It gives more shows the chance to get into that theater to like, uh, you know, try um, because I think it's just like a lot of these legacy shows, like Phantom closing, wild. I never thought in my lifetime Phantom would close. Yeah. And as Patty Lapone said, I think we need term limits on the Supreme Court. We need <laughs> term limits on Congress, and we need term limits on Broadway shows. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, term limits for Broadway shows. Do we? I, who is still seeing the? I mean, I want to see the line. I, I definitely. I'm who is still seeing <laughs> Book of Mormon? Book of Mormon. I want to see it. How have you never seen Book of Mormon? And you know something? It's so funny. Um, some of our uh, members of the audience might not know this story. My grandfather, um, he was a Catholic his whole life, right? Um, he was a Catholic when he married my biological grandmother, but then he divorced my biological grandmother, couldn't be Catholic anymore. And he ended up marrying a Mormon woman. 
So I myself um, was never Mormon. No one in my family ever converted besides my grandpa. But after marrying this woman, he got really invested in the Mormon church. And he was Ugh. super Mormon. Um, he died really tragically in 2015. Rest in peace, Grandpa. And it was, it was funny. He died in a, in July in New York. And uh, we rented out a funeral home because, you know, all of his kids, uh, especially the daughters, my aunts, wanted to do, like, the traditional Catholic funeral. All the wake. Yeah. Um, but, but we're like, no, he probably wouldn't have wanted that. So let's just do, like, a non-denominational kind of funeral home. But then last minute, the air conditioning breaks at the funeral home. Oh, no. We're like, fuck, we have to find somewhere else to do this funeral at. The Mormon church that he went to. It's like, oh, you could just have it here for free. So we're like, you know what? That's what Grandpa would have wanted. So me and my degenerate family, we all go to the Mormon temple. We're the Mormon, it's there. a temple? They're trying it's to a like, church? Yeah. It was more, they call it a temple, I believe. Um, and... Um, we're in there. They're all trying to convert us. We're secretly like drinking beer in the parking lot, and we're all like, "Oh my god, we have to go see Book of Mormon." We oh my lord, Book of Mormon! And it's such a shame we didn't, because that really would have been the best time to go see Book of Mormon. Right yeah. after a Mormon funeral. Yeah, that's insane. I know. I mean, there's not much death in the Book of Mormon, but it's like. Well, I always thought of taking my grandpa to see it when he was alive, too. He would have liked it. I mean, I've, what from what I've heard, Mormons like it. Like, they think it's funny. They don't? Like, it's obviously, they they're like not it. like, yes, we, this is us. But they think but it's funny. this is us. Mm-hmm. No, they advertise in the Playbill. They do. It's like, the, they're, like, not against it, but they're not like, hey, this play is a great, uh, this musical is a great example of Mormonism. Mormon people are so fucking cool. Are they? You know, I don't want to be one, but they're really nice people. Dum 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 dum. <laughs> Joseph Smith was called a dum 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 dum. Smart 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 smart. Um. Yeah. I actually. I really want to do uh, a pilgrimage to Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. Yeah, Mormons have the largest genealogical records in the world. Really? Did you know that? Because a part of uh, like a Mormon rite of passage when you're becoming Mormon is you uh, do extensive genealogical research because Mormons believe that you can posthumously baptize your dead family members into the Mormon church. Um, and so they have a big data center. It's like a big library on the side of a mountain there in Salt Lake. Oh, I've always kind of wanted to see my grandpa's records. I remember when he did it when I was a kid and showed me. And realistically, I could go to any Mormon church like here in Miami. Uh, God, to be Mormon in Miami. But it just it sounds so much more romantic. To, to go to the motherland, to, to, Salt yeah. Lake City. I, I think I might go like when Sundance Film Festival is going out or something. Oh, Lord. I was, I was thinking about doing it this year, actually, but it just didn't work out. To Salt Lake City. Yeah. I hear it's a great town. I... Oh my god, we'll record live from <laughs> Salt Lake City. <laughs> we should. We work in Salt Lake City. Doll's house. Doll's house. Doll's house. The dolls in the house. Yeah. The dolls in the house. house. The dolls in the house. And by the way, that the thing where they're doing the strobe lights on the projection mapping on the walls and and the EDM music, every time a new character came to stage, 
the show just stopped. I love that. Though. And they did that, and it was like ka 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 Dolls in the house. Dolls in the house. Dolls in the house. Dolls. Oh my God! What was your name? And Marie. And Marie. No, we were like on the floor laughing. It was the funniest shit. No, I just paused dramatically and I looked at you and I said, I love this so much. Save. You know, Barry Newport, she fed us. Barry Newport is doing what Beyonce. Katrina. Barry Newport is the Beyonce of like local theater productions because she knew she what said, the I gays thank, want. I want to thank the queer community. <laughs> Why is your Beyonce, Beyonce Wendy Williams? When Beyonce said that at the Grammys, I was like, yes, Beyonce. <laughs> what she better take that back. <laughs> it was no, honestly, it was the best oh, oh, award acknowledgement ever. Because she didn't go up there and give some long convoluted speech about how like all this music, it's really influenced by this and that and everything. She was just like, you know what? I want to thank the queer community. Thank you. Thank you. Because Shout out to the gays. She knows. She wasn't going to pussyfoot around it. She knows she made the gayest fucking album of the last five years ever. And I listen to it every single day. Thank you, Mother Beyonce, for feeding us the way Mother Barry Newport fed us. With this production of the, the dolls in the house. I It truly was giving the girls everything because I feel, okay, so could the last imagine, play we saw. Could you imagine, sorry, could you imagine okay. how the girls would have lost it if they like did that at like Alibi? Oh my God, literally. Could like, you, like they would be screaming. Wearing period piece costumes. Screaming, like there would be, $5,000 in singles on the floor. Voguing in a corset and a Victorian petticoat. Just giving pussy. Like, absolute every, cunt. Everyone was giving pussy. Oh my so God. So hard. She put her whole Gable stussy in this show. <laughs> her very new pussy. <laughs> no. Cut that. Cut that. Cut that. <laughs> That's the thing. We always do these. She always does these pre-shows that are just so dramaturgically rich. Like she explains every yeah. lighting cue. Every she literally hands the audience the script. Says, "Here's my script. Here's all my notes. Here's yeah. my lighting. You want to see my lighting cues? Mm -hmm. You want to see all this? It's like she is so passionate about this shit. And because Gable Stage is such a small little like Titan, like no, everyone there was donors. Uh, Except well, us. Not us. Yeah. We're, we're critiques. We're marketing. <laughs> we are, yeah, literally. We are the people they pay, basically, because they're giving us free tickets. Well, you know, they actually pay their actors and shit, too. Well, they're equity. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. They, they're really good in getting equity actors uh, for these productions. Like, them and I know Slowburn, I think, are some of them. Slowburn, I think Miami New Drama, they really stick to using equity actors. Or like they have an agreement to use equity actors. I think the only one that was not equity was the girl playing the daughter, Emmy. Okay. Oh my god. I <laughs> so there is a actually a part three of a doll's house. There's a part three? There's a part three. It, did Lucas Nath make it? No. My one of my favorite theater groups, this insane theater collective from New York called the Fake Friends. Okay. They are these three, four queer people that have this collective out of New York. And I think, um, so during the pandemic, they made a production called Fake Friend, uh, called Circle Jerk, which okay. is this 
which is like this pandemic theater production about like uh, two gay guys that playing different roles, like changing costumes, wigs, and it's about like this like gay influencer that gets like uh, develops an AI that cancels everyone in the world. Cancels. Cancels the entire world. That's funny. And it's insane. It's like one character is very clearly like a uh, what's his name a Milo like fucking good. A Milo an analogy. Yeah. Uh, that's not the right word, but I know you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, it's insane. It's this insane gorilla piece of theater. I wish I could show it in any way. It was staged live. I saw it during the pandemic. Like it was staged remotely. Yeah. Um, it's but so they do this version of a doll's house part three. <laughs> so it literally picks up where Nora left off. You know, in the doll's house part two. <laughs> And she slams the door in 1879. Oh, my God. What would part four be? But it's like. Wait, well, what happens in part three? uh, So it's like a sequel. Spoiler. Uh, I mean, it's on their website. Uh, Sadly, it hasn't been produced yet. But so Adolf's House Part 3 was like before This American Wife. And Adolf's House Part 3 was like kind of. It's like kind of where they get into their kind of ethos of like this DIY guerrilla theater that involves like light rings and like ipads and like looking like like kind of making fun of like influencer culture yeah so they like <laughs> but what's it about it's uh so they're th- so they play nora's three children bob ivar and emmy who was kind of in the play <laughs> and they create an experimental performance collective as a resistance to the american new play development complex god <laughs> and it's like and their performer is doing ASMR and YouTube makeup tutorials. <laughs> that is very of the time. Wait, have you seen this? I need to watch this. I wish it was recorded somewhere? anywhere. I wish Fake Friends was like, I wish Fake Friends was like fucking uh, Star Kid, how they record everything. They don't have someone fucking with an iPhone recording this. They so they stream these shows live usually, but this one wasn't recorded. I've been, I've scoured the internet. Patrick and Michael, if you're listening to this, because I know you are, send me this recording. Please. That's so funny. It's insane. I would kill to see this because it's literally like, oh, and they've also never read. They've never read part two. <laughs> they don't know anything about it. In the same way I don't think about part one, they don't know anything about part two. But they made the play about it. That's funny. It's like, I would kill to see this because they have such a, so they have such a, a way of working with this like language of theater that's so fascinating and I think is so uh where was this performed at? So they did it for uh a couple festivals in New York. Um oh the Wesleyan Center for the Arts. Like you and your fucking cardigan spray painting. <laughs> Wesleyan isn't exactly one institution. It's named after Anything that's named Wesleyan is named after, I think it's John Wesleyan. No, this wasn't his university, though. He was the founder of the Methodist Church. So when anything is called Wesleyan, it usually just means there's some kind of affiliation with the Methodist Church, not oh, like Lord. some big academic institution. No, but this is performed at like the college. There's Wesleyans. Are there? Yeah. Yeah. Besides the college? Yeah. It's kind of like, you know how like there's a lot of colleges out there that are like Jesuit Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's like I know, but this is like at the university though. Well, I mean, it, one of the universities. There's more. Yeah. How many fucking Wesleyans are I don't there? Know, there's several. Oh my god. Maybe like, there's a lot of. Am I a Wesleyan? Am I a Wesleyan? 
You are definitely were a Wesleyan. You and your fucking cardigan spray painting free Palestine on the streets of Wynwood is so Wesleyan. I wasn't wearing a cardigan. You look like a fucking jet, a graduate assistant. Here comes the hurricane, bitch. 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 Here comes the hurricane. The shoehorning of the messaging, like walking upstage. Oh, the, the light. Yeah. The light was like a choice. Those, yeah. The whole thing was very gay. It was this is very, very like, gay. It was like if like it really had like the dramatic aspects of a drag show. Like I it's don't know like, how else to describe it. It, it was had, like watching Drag Race. Yes, Drag Race, but it's a, except it was all monologues. Like as as if like it's a contestant you're watching about to go home, and her whole life is like is like playing out right there, and it's oh my god, there's a campness to it. I the kids like to use the word camp these days to describe yeah. bad, ugly things, and like bad shows, like bad Cinderella. But this show was genuinely like taking camp in a direct looking it was carly Kloss staring camp right in the eye of the met gala <laughs> but you know something um that that was all 100 percent because of how the play was directed yeah you know i think if you maybe just saw the play in its original form i, don't know, maybe I wonder if it was this. all that but it, that's my whole kind of gripe with the play is it's like what is it really bringing to the conversation it all that happens in it is nora comes back because she realized her divorce isn't really finalized her children are resentful of her because she was never there to be a mom for them which is to be expected right and then it's like the kind of the reading of the text as like um it's like to kind of like lampoon the feminist aspect aspect of it because then the kids are like i agree to be resentful of you because you were an absent mother and it's like oh you you have plenty of memories about me right mom and it's like it's kind of let like kind of questioning whether or not this is a quote-unquote feminist move i guess mm. in 2017 and i guess in the terms of the 2017 you know i mean that was like i i would argue that's like the peak of like boss babe culture like yeah. 2017 post-trump or yep. post-trump election like girl no boss. that was the first year of the that's trump when election girl boss was a popular book that's really is a book you what yeah that's where the whole term comes from I've by never sophia known. emma russo Girl boss, the founder of nastygal.com. Oh, really? The that's original where that comes from? girl boss. Yeah. Oh my god, that's the title of episode. A doll's house part two, the original girl boss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Title of episode. Oh my god. Um I think the book might have came out in like 2015, but it had a good run. It it's like run. <laughs> I uh... I don't know. I mean, because, like, I kind of does question, like, the feminist reading of this play, which I guess is, like, understandable. But I think the aesthetic of it, I mean, it's, like, the choice to go – the choice is to go minimalist staging, like, with the with the blocking and everything and, like, the props. Like, the most prop there ever is in this show is a, a tissue box that is ornate and gold. Mm-hmm. And then, like, there's the dialogue – I don't know. I You know what? I remember – opening night nerves like this was a preview night yeah i can tell there was some nerves in the house because uh some of the actors were like acting is reacting so like a lot of the actors were kind of like rushing through lines like you could very clearly tell like she would say hello and then she's like hello and then like it would be like kind of jumped right over mm-hmm. the next line 
it's the thing where it's like I can tell they're a little nervous. They're like memorizing the script. They've probably sat down with the script. They even said they had a rehearsal that day. Yeah, they had a rehearsal uh, in the morning, and then they. This is their first run of the show. I feel that, and that's kind of why I like when I critique shows. I try to like step back and realize, you know, how long have they sat with the material? How long have they had in this? And these are fantastic. They gave fantastic performances all around. I think even like the daughter playing Emmy, uh, the actress playing Emmy, who has like these small. She shows up in the last half hour of the show. Yeah. And like she has the smallest role, but she does a lot with it. I remembered yeah. her at her role very prominently. Mm-hmm. Then again, I think Anne Marie is kind of like I guess Anne Marie because she's only she's very present in the beginning. Yeah, and it's like also some of the dialogue. It's just like it went nowhere. There was like there was no real resolution. She got the divorce. I think it's not it like, really supposed to for? resolve. But it's like, but. Uh, forget about revolution. Uh, res- revolution. Resolution. You want a revolution? I want a resolution. Um, wh- what was the point? What was the point? Anyone who saw the original Doll's House knows that Nora was going to be an absent mother. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like she comes back and she's all successful now. I just feel like it really didn't add anything to Ibsen's original play. Oh yeah, there was a note from the dramaturg. So it's like the Norwegian feminist movement. The Norwegian feminist movement fought hard to change these rules about you know divorce towards the tail end of the nineteenth century, and the laws were more modernized to include more rights for women. And then since then, they have. Um, there's literally a timeline of like every big women's kind of movement, yeah. uh, th- internationally throughout the history. So like it mentions nineteen sixty three, the Equal Pay Act, uh, Roe v. Wade, the Women's Business Ownership Act for 1988, which is only 1988. Yeah. It's like, when you think about it, a lot of feminist uh, kind of history, and we're still kind of fighting fucking now, has, like, only been within the past, like, century, basically. Like, big strides. 60 years. Even Yeah, even less than that. It's like, so it's like, I think the point of revisiting the material was to look, like, at what is feminism and i think especially because i mean if you couldn't tell by the very loud part where she's like walking up and down the aisles saying like if you're in a loveless marriage you shouldn't have to be in it blah 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 blah. it's like very telegraphed and i feel like the whole conceit of like walking down the aisles like you're a, a talk show host and like, like we're on sally jesse Raphael. yeah feels very like i don't know I don't know if it comes across as preachy or if it comes across as like. I think it's an interesting way to do the staging. It was giving Ricky Lake. Yeah, where it's like, who are you talking to? Are you talking to me to try and tell me something? Because she was making eye contact. Oh, and by the way, and I remember this specifically. She's making eye contact with a lot of very obvious married couples. Oh, and these were the donors. So very rich, older married couples. Yeah, well. It was it was it was a good time. I mean, I really enjoyed myself, but but it's still kind of like si- trying to find meaning in this play. Yeah, it's like the Ibsen work. I can definitely like see the rationale for it. It's a it's a statement on like, I yeah. mean, I don't think he. I guess he didn't quite intend to be feminist. It's but hard like, to hold the flame to original Doll's House. It's so great. Yeah, but I think if I think you know what we are also looking at this show through a very twenty twenty three context, like. 
you know, how women are, you know, very uh, still fighting for shit today. Mm -hmm. um, in 2017, you know, this was like right at the beginning of the Trump presidency. We didn't kind of know what was happening mm -hmm. just yet. Um, and then political rhetoric has like boiled down to the stupidity that it is now. And so it's like, I think in trying to revisit the source material, it is trying to like give a different side of history. I think, you know, earlier today I was listening to um, an interview with Whitney Cummings, who's produced so many uh, really popular TV shows. Mm -hmm. And um, she was talking about how when Bridesmaids, the movie first came out, was so tremendously popular and all these producers were coming to her saying, oh, we need you to write the next Bridesmaids, write the next Bridesmaids, write the next Bridesmaids because it was so popular. They wanted to just create a million Bridesmaids clones, yeah. right? They really wanted to like tap into like the zeitgeist of like a girl's trip movie. And she's like, no, that's not why Bridesmaids was so successful. Bridesmaids was successful because it was an original idea with a new kind of perspective for audiences. In a That's sea of like to... all the Judd Apatow movies, yeah. of all the buddy comedies that were starring men. So what is this, uh, just aside from just a drop in the bucket of like neoliberal pussy hat isms of 2017 then? Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Is that is that what we're saying it is? I, I, like, And maybe that is all it is. You know, will people still t be talking about this play? 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Where feminism goes. I think it's like, I think, oh, the staging we saw was very contemporary. It's like, I think this show when it was on Broadway was not as contemporary as we saw it. So it's like, the, I guess the, the framing of it in this very modern lens is supposed to have that gringy, grunginess and a bit of that like, a24-esque spin on it. <laughs> this show felt very A24 to me because it's a period piece mixed with Vogue beats and like bright graphics. Yeah. I think that, so, I mean, on the one hand, it is like Yas Queenie feminist in the way she's like literally like, you know, preaching to the choir. Yeah. And you know what? Barry Newport, if you want to come on the pod and just like defend this show. Please do. Barry, we love you. I mean, I loved it. Don't get me wrong, but... Well, I, yeah, it's the thing. It's a great, it's a, it's a fun show, uh, not a fun show. It's not fun. It's a, it's a play. It's an interesting show. I think it's very thought provoking, in the sense that, you know, it does get you to think about like where women's issues are going, how we could like even in our modern context, being able to step back and say, wow, women couldn't even like uh divorce properly back then, mm -hmm. or even like do any uh, what's it called, live back then. And so now we're just like trying to recontextualize, you know, how do we see women in this society? How do we see women in our own world? Yeah. And what rights are women afforded? But even then, I'd think that this play may kind of lack on that sense of like, you know, is it saying anything about that? Is it condemning? Yeah. Because even the Torvald character kind of is like, and the, uh, the daughter Emmy is like kind of saying, you're a deadbeat mother. And then uh, Torvald saying that, oh, I was actually very oppressed by you leaving and making me stay with the kids in Anne-Marie. It was embarrassing. Yeah, it was embarrassing. Uh, how do you think I felt? They get beat, he gets beat up at the end. Right. 
But you know something? The the point the point of uh Doll's House is and I mean part of the reason why we still talk about it to this day, even if it's not something uh, a point that Ibsen was blatantly trying to make, was that was a woman's only other option. And you know what? It wasn't a good option. You oh, know, yeah. They faced honestly certain death just leaving trying to go out and make it happen for them in the world yeah because women really um, i mean she writes in the show she writes under a pseudonym like under a pen name yeah yeah it is uh but if they found out she was a woman they probably would either not write her read her books or she, she might be thrown in jail or something yeah because women were not allowed to like own their own and business ventures yeah and then the reality is she was thrown in an institution because she was homeless and could not make it yeah but you know something I will say maybe just to kind of you know put a button in this uh this is what we love Gable stage for Gable stage always has something different for us you know always something a little thought provoking uh and something a little unconventional I was going to say cuz that kind of segues me into their next production El Huracan El Huracan El Huracan Katrina Katrina! Do you think she's going to work on that one, too? Probably, right? Oh, she's the... Uh, Miss Newport is the... That's where we have her on. For this... Yes. We have her, even though it's on March 25th. We're going to have her on and talk about everything she's ever done, though. We're going to talk about your magical thinking. We're going to talk about Dolls I'm going to trauma dump on her. Everything. We could have her, like, right here. Yeah, that's a very we unfortunate thing to... I just read. What? Scott Rudin produced Your Magical Thinking with Vanessa Redgrave on Broadway. Yes. Yeah. What hasn't he produced? I mean, it's like, I feel like he's just like giving $50 for it to everyone and getting producer credit. He gets, and gets big Hollywood names to be in these shows. Oh, so I didn't realize El Huracan is written by Cherise Castro-Smith, who I think is a writer on Encanto. Disney's Encanto. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so she's a playwright from Miami. Um... So one of our own in our backyard. That's very interesting. Wait, what did she do? Oh, she co-directed Encanto. Interesting. Uh, I have to wonder what El Huracan is, ba- is, is about. You know what? Let me see if there's like a, a synopsis. Uh, oh, obviously. <laughs> El Huracan. Katrina. Katrina. It's about a vote. Okay. Oh, it's loosely about the Tempest. Okay. Interesting. It's a, it's, it's a loose interpretation of the the temp the tempest, I guess. Well, I think we thoroughly enjoyed a doll's house. I think it's a feminist retelling of a story that's as a tale as old as time. <laughs> tale as old as time. Oppressed I have no clue women. <laughs> Women's oppression is a tale as old as time. Yeah. So for absent friends, I've been JD, and I've been Sam. You can find me at WTLGO underscore Mac at Instagram. Or find me at Sam L-O-E-T or at Florida's Idiot. We'll see you at the theater. Attention. See you there. Absence friends. To Absence.